Word on Fire is brought to you by Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Chicago area since 1837, and FSP, dedicated to food service excellence. This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of Love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the One who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents the Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, I think it's fair to say that the biblical authors have a very realistic, at times even jaundiced view of human beings and human affairs. There's nothing gushy or romantic in the biblical authors about human beings, even about great heroes. One of the marks of the Bible is that even the greatest figures, Moses and David and Isaiah and company, are flawed are fallen. Just think for a second. Moses, at one point, doesn't believe God's word. That's why he's punished and never enters the Holy Land. Jacob, one of the greatest of the patriarchs, well, he's a cheat, self-absorbed as a young man. Joseph, the dreamer, well, when he was a kid, he was unbearable and obnoxious. David, the greatest king Israel ever had, was an adulterer and a murderer. And the stories go on and on. Notice too, please, we don't need a sort of muckraking journalist or revisionist historian to uncover these flaws. In fact, they're on display in the Bible. The Bible isn't romantic about the leaders, and then someone else says, oh, by the way, David had his problems. On the contrary, the Bible itself, in fact, it's part of the Bible's witness, is that David is deeply flawed. Let me make it a little more specific. The biblical authors are especially suspicious of those who wield power. Now, mind you, power is not bad in itself. It can't be, because it's one of God's own attributes. We describe God as all-powerful. Hence, we can't say that power in itself is a bad thing. But the biblical authors are very aware of the fact that powerful people can easily become corrupt. In fact, I think they might make their own Lord Acton's famous observation that power tends to corrupt, absolute power tends to corrupt, absolutely. I think they would have been very at home with that claim. Especially now on this question of kingship. The Bible is very interesting. When the Israelites came out of Egypt, led by Moses and by Joshua, they settled in the Promised Land. At first, they were ruled by judges. Not kings, not presidents, prime ministers, but by judges. In a much looser sort of manner. Mind you, judges were both men and women. Deborah was a judge. But then at a certain stage, the Israelites began to clamor for a king. Give us a king! that we might be like the peoples around us. We want a king to rule over us. And Yahweh, God, from the beginning, is suspicious of this request. 
Believe me, you don't want a king. Yes, we want a king, the clamor comes back. So finally, with great reluctance, Yahweh accedes to the request, and he gives them a king. And now the story begins. What I mean is a story that stretches throughout the Bible, the story of pretty lousy kings, justifying Yahweh's original suspicion of them. The first king, Saul. Well, he looked like a king. He was tall, handsome, impressive looking. But Saul quickly devolves into self-absorption. Saul's flaws of character eventually undermine him. He becomes obsessed with David, for example, and jealousy of him. And he spends the last years of his life hunting David down in this ridiculous quest. He disobeys God's commands and visits disaster upon his people. Finally, he's wounded in battle, and in his desperation, he falls on his own sword. We're not off to a good start with kings in Israel. Saul is succeeded by David. David, the greatest king in Israel, under whom the Israelite empire reached its, its greatest glory. And yet, as I said, David was an adulterer, seduced Bathsheba, and then arranged for the murder of Bathsheba's husband, an adulterer and a killer. David's son Absalom rebels against his father, leads an armed uprising against him. David is forced to flee. Absalom, chased by his enemies, his hair is caught in the branches of a tree, and while he's hanging there, suspended between heaven and earth, he's killed. Another of David's sons, Solomon, becomes king, reputed to be the wisest man ever to live. And yet Solomon, too, gives in to the idolatry of the nations around him. He marries Jezebel, and she misleads him. Solomon's folly leads to the division of the kingdom. Solomon is then succeeded by a long line of Israelite kings. And you know, in the Bible, not one of them really is successful. People like, like Ahab, you know, who misleads the people, leads them into disaster. One after the other, the kings of Israel are less than savory justifying Yahweh's original suspicion of this whole idea of kings. Friends, it's in light of this that we have to understand the reading that we have as our first reading. Listen now to the prophet Jeremiah. Woe to the shepherds who mislead and scatter the flock of my pasture, says the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, against the shepherds who shepherd my people. You have scattered my sheep and driven them away. You have not cared for them, but I will take care to punish your evil deeds. Strong words. Yahweh speaking through the mouth of the prophet Jeremiah. Who are the shepherds? Well, friends, in the ancient world, shepherd was the name often given to kings often given to earthly rulers, those who were charged with the task of ordering and guiding the sheep. Woe to you, kings. Woe to you, leaders. Why? Because instead of governing and guiding and caring for the flock, you have preyed upon them. 
you have effectively scattered them on the hillside, and I will punish you for your evil deeds. Jeremiah's words are not unique, as I've been saying. They are part of a grand biblical tradition. Christians, have these words of Jeremiah been echoing in a certain way in your own hearts the last couple of years? Woe to you, shepherds. Woe to you, leaders, who have not cared for the flock, but have scattered the flock. As you know, we've been rocked by this terrible scandal the last two years in the church. The first wave of it happened ten years ago. I'm talking about this sex abuse scandal. Why has it struck Christian people with such power? Why has it echoed in our hearts with such darkness? Because we're not just talking about the sin of sexual abuse of children, bad as that is. We're also talking about a terrible abuse of power. The priests who abuse children sexually, well, these are shepherds meant to care for the sheep, meant to care for the flock. What did they do? Well, they abused their authority. And instead of caring for the flock, they scattered it. And then, of course, this abuse of authority was compounded by another. Some bishops looking the other way, some bishops preferring to cover up, some bishops even reassigning priests, who they knew to be abusers, just compounded the crime and compounded the abuse of power. Shepherds preying on the flock rather than guiding it. The indignation that so many people in the church and the wider society have felt, it's a righteous indignation. Now, mind you, not all priests, not all bishops, in fact, the vast majority of both are good shepherds. But the righteous indignation that many people have felt over this abuse of power is an indignation that is born of a deep biblical intuition, a deep biblical concern over the corruption of authority. Don't let anyone tell you that the church at its best is interested in the covering up of the crimes of leaders. On the contrary, we who come up out of a biblical tradition are deeply suspicious of the abuses of authority that happen too often. What's the good news? The church fathers say if you read the Bible and you haven't found the good news, you haven't read it right. Is Jeremiah pointing to a great abuse. Yes, in his own time and in our time. Yes, he is. Now, in itself, there is good news there. It is good for us to name clearly where we see sin. It is good for us to uncover what's been covered up. So in itself, just that accusation, woe to you shepherds, it's good news. But there's more. Listen now to the gospel. Upon disembarking, Jesus saw a vast crowd. He pitied them, for they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them at great length. 
Jesus sees them. The children of Israel. The scattered flock of God. The verb used here for he pitied them is that lovely Greek word that means his very guts were moved. It means the compassion of Jesus, which is the compassion of God himself. As God looks out at the scattered flock of Israel, which has been ill-served by some bad shepherds, his very guts and heart are moved with pity, and he says, I will shepherd them. Listen now again to Jeremiah. As it were, anticipating Jesus, predicting Jesus, Yahweh says, I myself will gather the remnant of my flock from all the lands to which I've driven them and bring them back to their meadow. There they shall increase and multiply. Yahweh says, there have been bad shepherds. I myself will shepherd my people Israel. Jesus is now this good shepherd made flesh. This good shepherd come among us to lead us, even when we have suffered from bad leadership and bad shepherding. The good news, Christians, is that the church is finally governed by this good shepherd who is Jesus Christ. Through ups and downs, yes, and in the mystery of God's providence, abuses are allowed to happen in the church through God's mysterious providence. Nevertheless, we are governed by the Good Shepherd. Naming the sins, yes, we should always do it with the clarity and the courage of Jeremiah. But at the same time, to rest in this confidence that a Good Shepherd has come among us, and in that confidence, we can still have faith. God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. You want the kids to eat healthy foods. They want fast foods and sugary snacks. What's a parent or school administrator to do? Call FSP. We provide nutritious, kid-tested, kid-approved meal service to area schools. Our quality breakfast, lunch, and snack plans are easy to implement and affordable. Take the guesswork out of mealtime by calling FSP at 773-385-5100. FSP. We're more than a school food service.